You're listening to Medically Unbiased. Unbiased. Offering an unbiased discussion about all things medical. See? An unbiased opinion. Medically speaking? Yeah. Medically Unbiased. Welcome back, everybody. Podcast number 750. I'm just kidding. It's podcast number four. I was going to say 754, but now we haven't been that busy. <laughs> no. Uh, Ron has returned to the depths of studio hell, and he is going to help us navigate the medically unbiased jargon from here on out. So uh, say welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Happy to be here. So you probably threw a sheet of paper today. I'm really curious. Uh, you got notes. I like notes. I've got notes. We've been medically unbiased and yet severely medically unprepared for the last couple. Uh, what else is new? Eh, that's true. Kind of. It's kind of like the ER. You go into work knowing some shit and you're not really sure what's going to come about. And you address it when it shows up. Yeah. I mean, if I've got a piece of paper that's got some tips, then we should be good. Yeah. Tips is good. So what is uh what what are you starting us out with today? What kind of uh, information? Well, do we want to hash on some of the stuff we talked about earlier from the podcast number three? Yeah, all right. We didn't can we do talk that. About, didn't we talk about Jayco? Yeah, we we touched on Jayco. We never really decided whether they were worth a damn or not. I I think they're probably not. You know, rethinking about it. But I mean, so for those who don't know, Jayco is a group that was actually started, I think, by a group of physicians and created a like a certifying body to certify hospitals and clinics and, you know, surgical centers. Then they oversee and certify and put their stamp of approval on your ability to provide appropriate levels of care. Yeah. In different areas, right? Stroke, right. Uh, cardiac, whatever. Right. They have different certification levels, just like... You know, each nurse or nurse practitioner, doctor, PA, all has a different certification level. So they apply that level of knowledge to their certifications and apply it to the hospitals. But we, from the the bedside perspective, from treating patients, have always questioned some of their policies. And I'm sure in other industries it's that way as well. OSHA, even though they are do regulate our industry, I would believe that in certain industries people are like really we need oh should it give us the tell us how to use a spray paint can or whatever it may be i don't know i'm just saying another industry might have the same thought process that we already we kind of had a bad taste in our mouth from jaco previously did this extrapolate upon that did it make it better or did it make it worse well i would think it made it worse because they didn't they weren't showing up okay yeah they didn't show up at all no not for a few months they're they're now showing up in june per their website oh well that was nice of them Mm -hmm. i'm very happy that they could take a couple months off still get a paycheck and then come back in well they are non-for-profit yeah we know how good not-for-profits are with those million dollar balloon payments to the ceos but you know that's a whole other topic for a different podcast yeah so does does jaco have clout which you never really answered the question last week well i because i don't really know if they Okay, so they obviously have some clout, right? They have some level of clout because they are still a certifying body. So the question, in my opinion, becomes who do they have clout with? 
because I think they've lost the ability to walk into a facility and tell a nurse anything about what they're doing. Jaco would have not allowed a lot of things that happened during this COVID-19 pandemic four months, six months ago. January, figure January 1, 2020, Jaco walked into your facility and you had a pump with seven drips on it in the hallway and then extension tubing 15 feet long running from outside of the bed, outside of the bed, the room to the patient's bed into a central line. Jacob would have lost their minds. Yeah. Or just the nurses wearing the PPE stuff around the units. Correct. You used to, you never never wore a PPE outside of a, a room. You doffed it the minute you left the room. You doffed it in the ante room if it was a negative pressure room. You didn't come out of that room with a gay. If you were walking in the hallway with a gown six months ago, you know how many people would chew your butt? Yeah, it was taboo. It was horrible. You never wear a gown outside the room. You will kill everyone with C. diff. What are you talking about? I'm like, you're not licking the gown. What are you doing? Quit licking me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Right. But now today... Are they going to have they? I don't even know what their guidelines are anymore. Have they changed them to fit the COVID nineteen narrative, or are they going to stay with the same stuff? And now we're going to get yelled at. And I say we as if the nurse actually gets yelled at. But what happens is then they will ask, they will query or ask a nurse. In this instance, what would you do? And if you don't have the right answer, that's a ding against the hospital for failing to train nurses appropriately and ultimately it's going to be a dig against you because your manager will say well they were speaking with you tyler and you answered incorrectly the answer is not unplug them that's not the answer you know that's not an appropriate answer not that i would say that but i'm saying jokingly somewhat tongue-in-cheek so no i don't think they have any clout with the medical staff on site they may have the ability to you know Kind of like an ISO rating on on a product. Mm-hmm. Is it safe? Is it not? Is the surgical suite clean? Is it not? Are the cleaning practices appropriate? Sure, they can still verify or not that because they do it annually. But to come in and tell a nurse or doctor that you can't have drinks at the nursing station or you can't, you know, the, ho- the day of the hospital running around cleaning and moving stuff when Jayco arrives needs to be just over. Yeah, it needs to be. I don't know if it will be, but, you know, I think things will eventually go back to the norm at some point. Okay. When, I don't know. I mean, who knows? So do you think they have clout with what they're doing with the facilities, with everything happening? I think from an upper management perspective, they still do. Okay. Yeah. Because they're still coming in, surveying the hospital and making sure that they meet qualifications to be called, a, you know, stroke center cardiac center whatever okay so from from that standpoint i think they have some clout but maybe we'll know more this month or next month as they make more rounds and see different things that are happening um and to be fair maybe i'm not giving them enough credit maybe they realized that they were hiding from this whole pandemic and they didn't protect the nursing staff because i think they've heard from staff around the country. I've seen Twitter feeds to the CEO that are directly address their lack of presence and their lack of ability to protect 
the healthcare workers, if you're a certifying body, you certify that things are appropriate. And when we're doing stuff like wearing N95 masks for weeks at a time and then autoclaving them and re-wearing, come on. That's just never, that's not even in the guidelines from the manufacturer on the product. No, it's not. It's so the CDC makes stuff up. I know again, <laughs> recommends it. Yeah. Making up, recommending whatever, you know, it's, it's 2020. We're going to do some weird stuff in 2020. <laughs> 2020 is definitely an odd year. I still want to address the masks thing though, because I think fitment wise, I do think there's going to be, someone needs to come out with a very comfortable, all encompassing. Now the Papper mask is great. I like it. Mm-hmm. It's comfortable. It's easy to use. It's positive pressure. You don't have a mask bugging you. It actually kind of cools you when the fan's running, when you're in the room. The dilemma I have is I don't know where they keep extra filters for that. And who's in charge of those? Who's in charge of changing them? Now, the N95 mask I wear on my face, I know if I changed it or I didn't. When I'm given a PAPR, which is a positive airway pressure device or respirator, when I wear that mask, the whole encompassing face shield and hood, there's a HEPA N95 filter on the actual fan that blows air in. So that has has a filter. And then how often do we clean the tubing and how does that get cleaned? I'm sure there's a guideline if you read the product manual, but who does that? So again, who's in charge of doing those? I like the system. I do. I just think there needs to be a better guideline on changing that and knowing that it gets done and how do you as the end user know that it was done yeah i know the nurses change the filters i know they they wipe them down they clean the product Mm -hmm. um which which i did when i used it as well and it depends on what you know manufacturer because some of these have stopped making them can you still get the filters right that's a problem if you can't are you eBay bound? Is that what you're? Is that what we're doing? Amazon searching for this Amazon? Product? Maybe I don't know that I want to go to eBay and try and find filters for my and that you know. I'm sure there is. You know, I I guarantee you there's some type of product um, manual that's going to tell you how to change the tubing or clean. No, the there's tubing that 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 fits. I get that. I'm saying, how do I as the end user come to work on a Monday night, and then they say, well, uh, we switched it on Sunday. I already don't trust the system. Yeah. Okay. I want to know that I'm protected at the end, as the end user. How do I know that that was changed? And I, I don't know that we can answer that question without um, me changing it. Yeah. Unless you're changing it. Correct. In between shifts. Right. Where you can see that the product you've can visually see the product has been replaced. Right. But if you can't, Right. So then the next question is, do we, since I have my own mask, you get assigned a mask because those masks aren't cheap. So you get assigned a mask that gets wiped down, Mm -hmm. you know, with chlorhexidine or other wipes. It's cleaned regularly and you store it in your locker separately from everyone else. Maybe each nurse gets their own filter and they use the filter for five times. Yeah. But you're, you're, you're assuming that there's enough pappers for nurses that can put them in their locker. Usually... My experience, there isn't. 
Correct. No, I understand that. So I'm, you're sharing peppers throughout the shift. Yeah, which is just stupid. Again, yeah. it's not... We wouldn't share anything else. That's what I don't understand. Do we share toothbrushes? And well, pepper, I think peppers you can share. I mean, as long as you're wiping them down in between. The product's made to be used multiple times in different settings and stuff. Right. I don't know of anybody that has enough peppers where you can comfortably say, okay, we need... 20 nurses to have them i don't know if they'll have them yeah maybe not might not even be available yeah it may not be but why is it not working why is it not working i don't know it doesn't like me right now it's so weird that's so odd is it you know is it because the volume is down Mm, that would be why see we have a new studio tool we're playing with today. So if you hear us kind of goofing, we're trying to figure out this new uh, podcast format that we're designing. We're trying to make it easier to get more data out faster, upload data, you know, make our streamline our process a little bit. So bear with us as we play with and learn the new tools. Yeah, because we, we want to pull audio sounds from different sources and, and be able to talk about things too. Correct. Absolutely. So, no, that's good. I'm glad you give said it, something. Give it a hit. Give it. A, no, I got, we'll do it later. Okay. We'll, we'll put it in the system later somewhere. It's I gonna, like it. It's going to work. It'll work. So, yeah, topic. COVID. Five. Here we go. Right? Yeah, Might this well is like, jump right into well, this. This is all topic all the time. COVID, COVID, COVID. There's like nothing else happening in the world. So, we ended the, uh, the podcast last week uh, talking about George Floyd. Yes, that horrible situation. So we do know now that his autopsy did show him positive for COVID. That's okay. So that's a great question. Did he die from COVID? Because if that says that on the medical record, just so that the hospital can get more money, I'm going to be really offended. He died with COVID. Fair enough. So does that change anything as far as what's going on with him? Uh, No, not at all. Because if a patient walked in the hospital and they were short of breath, weren't able to breathe on COVID, and I'm like, just lay down right here. Let me put my knee on your neck for nine minutes. And they died. Did he become... I would be culpable. Was he shorter of breath? Or did he have a a shorter time to breathe? Because he couldn't breathe to begin with. Maybe he was an asymptomatic carrier. And he had... Ab- we don't know. They just lift out the data on all the important shit and said, oh, he's got COVID. Yeah, well, you make your own decision. That's, 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 a, that's funny. You say that because they just came out with the WHO is backtracking on their asymptomatic carrier not spreading. Mm-hmm. They're basically, you know, stepping back or, or, or pulling back, you know, what their, what their data shows. Okay. Because I think a lot of people were upset by that statement you mean what statement the I statement study, that, the, the statement that, the study that said that that we talked about last week that said there is no spread or very minimal spread from asymptomatic carriers yeah and then like two days later they come out and say oh sorry we're just kidding it's like eh, well maybe we overstepped i guess i don't know over but how do you overstep in science i don't understand that that's the it's we need to eliminate the political aspect of this and leave it in the science aspect and not care what people say about it. I mean, there just needs to be data. That's what our job is, is to show up with the data. Mm-hmm. 
it's up to the patient, you know, to make an informed decision. If a patient was coming to a doctor or a, a PA or somebody in the, in the practitioner said, oh yeah, you, you don't have cancer. And then a week later said, yeah, cancer. And then a week later said, well, maybe you don't have cancer. And then a week later, like, mm, no, you definitely, you would never go back to that person ever. Yet we will follow Fauci in the WHO to the end of the world, no matter what they do. End of the world, we'll follow them and they will be right and wrong. Half like I had a broken watch once. It was right twice a day. Yeah, well, at least it was right twice a day. <laughs> These guys aren't right at all, you're saying? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Oh, they're never right. I love it. So, again, back to your question on George Floyd. Mm-hmm. So we had COVID. We had people in close proximity to him for a long time. They're not reporting sickness or illness. So I guess he was an asymptomatic spreader. I mean, does it really matter? Why are, no. we, why are we testing him anyways? It, because we're they're trying to throw any reason to not... Honestly, I believe they're trying to show any reason to not make this officer guilty of what happened. They're trying to, they're trying to blame the guy who died. And at no point in time, if we as medical practitioners in the hospital did that to a patient, would we ever be acquitted or let off? There would be no, we'd be like, oh, he was on fentanyl and he had COVID. So you sitting on his back with two people and putting a knee in his neck for nine minutes had absolutely nothing to do with his death. No, they would never say that to us. He was killed. He was murdered. Again, it goes to the gravity of the situation or the level in which the officer is going to be charged. That's up to the lawyers and the judges to decide. But as far as I'm concerned, he was murdered, period. He died because someone sat on his neck and, and sat on his back and killed him. If he had died sitting up, comfortable, the side of the car, and like all of a sudden went into some spontaneous you know respiratory distress and passed away totally different story but that's not what happened no and that would make sense then for doing the covid test right correct but we're testing everybody for everything how come and nothing against george floyd but he had already passed away and we can look at the video and kind of see why he passed away so why do the covid test when i have patients in the hospital who can't get a covid test at all yeah and are sick. They have respiratory distress. And they'll chalk it up to exacerbation of congestive heart failure or fluid overload secondary to, you know, obesity. <laughs> chalk it up to something else. Won't test them for COVID. Mm-hmm. They won't. They, they don't have a temperature home. and their x-ray was clear. They don't have COVID. Well, uh, you didn't even test them. How do you know? It's a presumptive test of no. But what if they're asymptomatic? Or they don't, ask, or they don't ask the questions, and then when they get, say, they get up to the floor, say they get admitted for, say, chest pain. Okay. And they go up to the floor, and then they ask the floor's asking questions. Hey, are you having any shortness of breath, which can be related to chest pain? I mean, they're just doing a general assessment. Correct. Like the nurse is assessing her patient or his patient before their shift or during their shift. Yeah. Yeah. And then they ask those questions, and then triggers the COVID screening which was okay. never triggered down in the ER. I mean, like our sepsis screening that's so accurate. Yeah. Okay. So it triggers it. So now you're struggling to get 
the rapid done because they happen to be on a floor that you know they shouldn't be if they are positive. Because yeah, they're not on a rule out floor. They're not on a, a clean floor. They're on intermixed floor. Med yeah. surge, med telly, walkie talkie patient. Yep. Might have COVID. Might have COVID. Exposing to everyone else in the unit. Generally, they don't. No, no, they don't. But but, but that's the thing, though. Are we asking? Are we asking the right questions? We I don't think we were asking the right questions to begin with. That's why everything was a little bit, you know, because we didn't know. And we still obviously don't know. I think we're getting better, but we're still in the dark of a little bit about stuff. When I say we, I'm I'm more referring to the CDC. No, you're not. I think you're referring to the fact that we is the medical profession. We are not really sure. I'm referring to Fauci. <laughs> Because Fauci, isn't it, isn't it? Anytime you mention his name, you have to say, "Look, I like the guy; he's really cool." But you have to, you have to quantify your negative comment of Fauci somehow. <laughs> you always got to pre- preface that comment. Well, it's funny, you know. I brought up Fauci. Fauci warns pandemic not over. Okay, and it's a double whammy for African Americans. Why? Because of their history or comorbidities. Okay, so young African American men are well known to have a, you know, a very high proclivity for hypertension, even at a young age, 25, 30 years old. Undiagnosed because they don't notice it. There was a study in 2018 that highlighted how they went into barber shops in the inner city and were able to facilitate treating young men with undiagnosed hypertension early to try and see if early prevention prevents long term negative effects from you know, dilated cardiomyopathy to whatever. So yeah, there's high risk there, whether it be diabetes, obesity, hypertension, there's risk. So the question now becomes what makes an African-American or a black person more at risk for COVID? That's just, I don't, I don't think this is a gender or a race thing. No, I, I did read where the blood type O might be like pseudo protective. Mm. I read an article about that. I wish I'd have brought it with me, but yeah, I read an article that your blood type uh, might be protective. That's interesting. Protective as in you don't get it. Uh, as you... in people with type O blood are much more, le- much less likely to get, uh, get COVID. I read the article and I read the abstract. I did not read the whole article. Sure. No, but that's, that's something to ponder, right? That's something to talk about. Right. So, if you have type O, mm-hmm. you're less likely to get it or you're less likely to be asymptomatic and not spread. Ooh, that's a good question. Now, now I got to look it up while we're talking about this. I got to find out. I got to see that article again and see. Um, see, it's interesting stuff. It is interesting. I, because, I mean, you know, as I said last week, you know, I, I know people that have been around it, been in it, you know, spent time with people that were sick and finding out later that they have antibodies now for covid mm-hmm. so i wonder what their blood type is i wonder so let's wonder see blood type here is, you know correlates with your the article you read or the abstract it could be so this is an abstract and it was published from it looks like either a whole bunch of chinese or japanese names i don't know the difference so bear with me um Novel cor- the novel coronavirus disease has been spreading around rapidly, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
They compared the ABO blood group distribution in 2,173 patients with COVID-19 confirmed by the test um, from three hospitals in China, Wuhan, Sichuan, China. With that, in normal people from the corresponding regions, results showed that blood group A was associated with higher risk of acquiring COVID-19 compared with non-A groups, whereas blood group O was associated with lower risk of the infection compared with non-O blood groups. This is the first observation of an association between the ABO blood types. It should be emphasized, however, that this is an early study with limitations. So 23andMe, <laughs> all places, I guess they're getting into the research data, right? 23andMe also published uh, something that talks about how the preliminary data looked at from more than 750,000 participants in their study. I don't know how they participate. I don't know. It doesn't say how they participated, but they most, I would say 23andMe is, re, is still recruiting for its massive study. There's a link. Okay. Mostly recently seeking 10,000 participants outside of 23andMe who have been hospitalized and diagnosed with COVID. Um, but the first blush look at the information from more than 750,000 participants in the study shows that the following preliminary data suggests that O-type blood appears to be protective against the virus when compared to all other blood types. That's interesting. Individuals with type O blood are between 9 to 18% less likely than individuals with other blood types that have been tested positive for COVID. But it doesn't really say if, if, you, can, if you get it with O, are you asymptomatic? does not answer that question no that's a good question though i like that i mean are you asymptomatic if you get so who who's going to be the carrier of it when i don't know when who's an who's an asymptomatic carrier based on blood type that's a good question well my blood type's a mm, so, so you're I'm high risk you're high risk and you're you're shorter than normal, so that's a height. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> height is not a right. Height is not a factor. I guess. Thanks. I appreciate that. You're welcome. How dare you? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. That was evil. <laughs> so evil. So I mean that that's an interesting study. I mean, you know, talking all things COVID, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they still don't know. You know why it's not going away. Utah, Arizona, both are rising. Uh, so is Florida and Texas. Obviously they're opening, they're opening up more, but that's to be expected. I mean, no, I hate that, that it's I hate the numbers are rising. I hate that comment. And that comes from every media outlet out there. It's rising. Well, let's clarify though. Please do. Let's clarify something. Okay. They can rise. It's not a problem. What we want to do is we, we were keeping the numbers down. We were doing social distancing. We were staying away from each other. We were staying home. We weren't going to work. We weren't trying to infect other people. Why were we doing all of that? What was the reason why we were doing all that? Was to keep so we don't inundate the healthcare system. That was the reason why we were doing what we were doing. Okay. So... Ah, tasty beverages. So that's the reason. So even if we see an increase, if the media is reporting increase and we do see an increase, well, let's call it a tick up, right? That's okay 
because we're still doing social distancing. We're still trying to keep our six foot rule. We're wearing, people are wearing masks and gloves and anything else that they want to put on them to protect themselves. People are doing all of that. Hospital system is not inundated, even with the uptick. So let's make that very clear. Well, but let me let me bring up a point that I spoke to. So I brought this up to my daughter, my young, not my youngest, my oldest daughter. I because she was talking to her friends online about every, kind of everything going on, and we had a conversation about the rise in COVID cases. You know, because she was worried, and I said, okay, if there's 10 people out of 100 people get the disease. They're infected. It's a 10% ratio. And if I tell you that we have 20 more cases of COVID, how many cases did we test? What do you think? Now, you're an analytical person. You're a medical professional. You're a nurse. So you're automatically going to go to a different number. My daughter did what the general public will do. And they said 20. You got 20 more cases. You must have tested 20 more people, right? Mm -hmm. So now you've got 30 positive cases in 120 tested in their minds. Now it's a 25% infection rate, not 10. You've instantaneously went significantly higher in your infection rate, and now everyone's sick, and the world is going to end. Yeah. Or the reality is it was 300 people they tested. Or the reality was 10,000 people they tested to get 20 more. Yeah. And it doesn't mean 20 more acutely infected. They could be asymptomatic carriers. We don't know. It's not 20 more people showed up to the ICU and got intubated and are dying in an ICU. 20 more were infected. 20 more were found to have been infected. But they won't give you the denominator and the ratio. So it's unfair. I think the number is unfair to be given out without the denominator because it doesn't give you the actual total data. Yes. So it, it doesn't. And it's it's not fair to the general public who just and young women. Right. Like your daughter. Right. That just says, oh, you know, the the, the percentage must be higher because there's more people getting it. That's not necessarily true. I mean, as far as, yes, more people are, first off, we're doing more testing. Yeah. Way more testing. Way more testing. And we're, we're reporting more. And those numbers should go up because we're mingling more, right? Well. I mean, it, it's almost did, inevitable. That's, no, that, that's the misconception here. Did the numbers go up because we're mingling more? Or did the numbers go up simply because we tested more, period? Well, Minnesota's not any higher. They're mingling a lot more. They're mingling a lot more. Yeah. And they're not any higher. South Dakota never shut down. South, the state of South Dakota, the state of Wyoming, we talked about a little bit before. Yeah. They never shut down. Yes, they're, you know, very rural in places, but they never shut down. Yeah, but who really wants to go to South Dakota? I do. It's beautiful. I love, Wyoming. I love South Dakota. Yeah, the hunting's amazing. You know. People are awesome. I love South Not in the wintertime. But no, even the people who live there don't want to be there in the frigid cold winter. I mean... Nothing a, lives in the wintertime. Yeah, elk. <laughs> elk and deer. There's some there's a couple items. So vegetables won't live. Should we be worried? No. I'm sick of the Karen's yelling at me for not wearing a mask personally. I'm sick of it. Yeah. I was working this weekend in my yard. I was pouring some concrete. And uh I wore a mask just so I didn't inhale all of the dust as I poured 
powdered cement in from bags into the mixer. I poured a pretty good amount, you know, mm-hmm. 20 bags or whatever cement. So a little bit. Guess what I had all around my nose and my face when I took my mask off? Concrete dust. Interesting. Yeah, a lot, uh, lot thicker than COVID particles. Just saying. But you had it. Was Karen outside? Was Karen, she watching? Who Karen? <laughs> there was. Well, I live far enough from the general public that I don't have a Karen nearby. But if if I did live near a Karen, I would have told her to shove it. I'm just saying. Was she Was she happy to see you wearing a mask? <laughs> yeah, in my car driving 85 down the freeway, I was wearing a mask. No, I'm just kidding. No, the mask thing is bothersome for sure. It is. So if everyone's wearing a mask and everyone's safe and everyone's protected, why are the numbers going up? The numbers are only going up because we're testing people. We're testing more, period. But no one will give you the denominator. And that's the that's very upsetting to me that we won't learn what the... So if they said to you, we've gained 30 more cases and we tested 25,000 people, yeah. what, what does that mean to you? Well, low percentage. Yeah. Correct. But all they ever give you is how many are sick or how many are dying. Yeah, I mean, for all we know, they went from 400 positives to... In the state of Nevada, you mean? No, in in Arizona. Say they were around 400. Okay. And then they shot up to 1,400. But what if they did 30,000 tests? Again, you need to know the denominator to understand the, the value of those pieces of data. You can't just tell me that it's like giving me a blood pressure and saying, it's a uh, 140. 140, is that the bottom number, the top? Like, what do you, give me a systolic, a diastolic? What are you giving me? It's 140 palp. <laughs> no, it's be ridiculous. Take it again. You, you're you fired. That's what I'd tell you. 140 palp? Give me a break. No one does that. Like, no one's going to give me one number. You're going to give me a top and a bottom number. Mm-hmm. Because I, I mean, it'd be different. So if the pressure is one, one forty over, I don't know, one thirty-five, and their pulse pressure is five millimeters of mercury, I got a problem, right? Either that or they're on an LVAT. I'm just saying. But the point is, I'm a little concerned, right? That they have one, like there's no pressure. You know, the difference in pressure matters too. Yeah. The difference in the dyno, the the denominator and the, not, and the numerator here matter significantly. It's a big difference. And it'll change the narrative. No one wants to give you that number. I don't know why, but I can't find it. I can't find... I found guesswork, but no hard data on how many tests were done, whether it's by county, by city, by state. I can't... And I've dug a little... Don't get me wrong. I haven't spent 17 hours researching this one particular thing. No, but we can we can definitely follow back up on that on the next yeah. podcast because it would be interesting to give raw data. Yeah, right? for sure. I think the I think the general public is only has a right to know what that data is. Yeah, so it's important. All right. Have you heard any use as far as hydrochloroquine being given to COVID patients? Okay, so I haven't heard of it being given to COVID patients, but I don't I don't know if I mentioned this before or not. Both of my parents have arthritis. My mother has severe rheumatoid arthritis and has for years. I mean, to the point where little girls in the grocery store will talk to their parents. Look at that woman's ugly toes. Like my mom's feet look are all just mangled. Look like she looks like she was in the movie Misery and got hobbled by that 
at Kathy Bates' character. Yeah. But never was in the movie. I'm just saying. Never happened to her. I don't think she could have hiked out. I don't think she could have made it. Wouldn't have lived. She can make it to the grocery store. She definitely can make it to the grocery <laughs> store. So in that, they're both on hydrochloroquine. <laughs> both my parents. Oh. Naturally. They're on it. They were on it before this whole hydrochloroquine is cool. It's not cool. It's going to kill you. It's not going to. They, they were on it. So they were laughing hysterically and called me and they said, why does everyone think this is going to kill us? We've been on it for three years. <laughs> well, it's not going to kill you. No, because it's, it's the extreme end of reporting it, right? Correct. Let's make it really, really bad. Right. Even though probably millions of people are on it or have had taken it or whatever. Right. And my parents are both in what you would consider the high risk category. They're over 70 years old. They have hypertension, you know, probably coronary artery disease. Uh, so yeah, they're in the high risk group. Yeah. My mother got severely sick, fever, nausea, vomiting, like for three weeks. And her grandchild got really sick. She took this grandson, her grandson. They went to the doctor down in the town they live in. And they wouldn't test my mother for COVID. She asked for it. And at the time, swabs were, you know, this happened in, I want to say, March. Yeah, so it was early. Early in the testing process. But they said that she could have it. She probably has it. But they didn't test her for it. And we did that. With a lot of people. Right. In early March. Yeah. She didn't need to be hospitalized. She was sent home. Now, she was sent home and uh, spoke with my dad and they slept in the same bed. Like, he didn't, you know, shy away from, he didn't go live in a trailer down by the river. (laughs) The van. The van. The van. That's right. The van down by the river. He did not do that. Um, So they, you know cohabitated in the house and he never got sick ever didn't even get a fever or anything now she got better three weeks later she didn't have this you know fever she never she never had she was never tachycardic she was never had respiratory distress she never experienced a decrease in her oxygen saturation they have a little monitor finger probe thing like most people end up buying at some point in time in their life blood pressure remained fairly stable so all in all, her biggest complaint was nausea, vomiting, um, and uh, fever. She was, but it was a low-grade fever. It never got super high. It was like 101 at times. Come and go, intermittent. So she's pretty convinced that she had COVID, but didn't get tested for it. Now, she was on hydroxychloroquine the whole time. Yeah. Taking her meds. Now, if I send her for... <laughs> antibody testing and she has the antibodies pretty good chance that she had it but my nephew her grandchild did not he was tested they tested him the young boy mm-hmm. swabbed him and that came back negative the irony is that that test was only 60 percent positive so there's a good chance that he did have it yeah and tested negative was it a rapid uh no it was a send out it was a oh, yeah well at the time i don't think they were doing rapids because they were Swabbing you and then sending you to sending it to California or some lab in California. Got it. And so at least the West Coast side was. I don't know for sure if it was sent to California, but I'm assuming it was sent to California. Yeah, so and a rapid is a a return of positive negative within 15 minutes, 30 minutes. It's a rapid uh, response or rapid 
answer. It's essentially a pregnancy test for COVID. There you go. You pee on a stick, tells you if you're pregnant. COVID, you, what is it? I think it's a blood one now. The new one's a blood drop, a droplet of blood. New one's blood. They're still doing swabs. Yeah, they're still doing swabs. But you're, there's a rapid flu, has been for a long time. So the flu test is rapid. You go in the hospital or the clinic or wherever, your doctor's office, and you want a flu test, they'll test you for flu A and flu B. Rapid. Tell you right there in the office if you got it or don't. No, that's nice. Yeah. So, and I know some doctors, are not, even in our building, are doing rapid antigen body testing with blood, and it looks almost identical <laughs> to a... So if it's one, it's like a pet, uh, I'm trying to say, uh, pregnancy test. So it's two lines positive, one line negative kind oh. of thing on the test. It doesn't make a positive. No, there's no plus. It's, it's not a plus. plus. It's not a plus. Um, That's Pat. Yeah, it's Pat. Right. You can't make a plus. That's some uh, some company made that. Not allowed to do the plus sign. It might be a problem. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. How dare you? How dare you talk about plus signs? What else you got over there on your little sheet? Oh, you know, I have a couple of things, you know, I thought maybe we can talk about other than COVID. That'd be nice because I'm personally, I don't know about you, but I'm COVIDed out, really. I mean, well, you, I think America's COVIDed out because we've really segued away. I still get updates, right, on what's happening in the hospital and what's happening around the country. I still get emails regularly from all the publications I subscribe to. But I think that the country is on to different things. Bigger and brighter things. I don't know about brighter, bigger, but different, I guess would be the best term. Yeah. The news of the day, you know. Yeah, news of the day. Well, the newscasters are great at that. They're like, and the severed head was, you know, kept in the back. We, we definitely. On to weather. <laughs> we, can, we can definitely do news of the day just to knock it out. Whatever is on people's minds <laughs> we medically. Should, we should start a segment called News of the Day. <laughs> That's what we'll do. We're going to create a News of the Day segment. I'll, i got to build a little buffer for that, you know? Yes. And okay. then you can put in the email where people can type and... Yeah. So when people email us at info at medicallyunbiased.com, email Tyler or Ron, email one of us, just info at medicallyunbiased.com, email us questions, email us your News of the Day, things you want to hear us talk about. Yeah. Because we'll be happy to look it up and give you some answers. Right. And um, even if we're wrong, we'll give you a lot of them. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But at least we're giving you something. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're, we're going to look up from both perspectives, though. And we'll try and look at the good and the bad and kind of see what's out there. Yeah. I mean, like Tyler can do bad all day long. Yes. Like you definitely I can. can do good or we can. Oh, I, li- I like that. I'll be, you know, I'll be the bad guy. You could be the good guy. Yeah. Like parents for the public. It's yeah. It's kind of creepy, but funny. So I know a big one uh, that has been around since, was it January this year or January last year? I can't, I think it's been longer than a year. Okay. Uh, the whole uh, pain medications. I know that's a big, especially in Nevada. Oh, there was a huge, there's a great video, a movie on that on Netflix, a documentary about the pharmacist who kind of highlighted that pain meds were being blanket written by this doctor. Yeah. Great video. Yeah. Well, times have changed this past that new law that went in effect that they have to physicians are required to have if you're giving out a narcotic, you're you have to fill out a form. It's like a big to do from the physician's end. I just went through a two hour training on all the new guidelines for that. There you go. Yeah. 
So, you know, but the questions I was thinking was, you know, what about the new guidelines? Is it helpful? Is it, is it, is it helpful for you as a physician to not get, as a practitioner, to not get, you know, 90,000 patients in asking for the same pain medication? Or is it, is it more of a hindrance because you have to, you know, there's more paperwork, more documentation to fill out to give somebody who truly is in pain or right. needs it. Right. Well, so I don't treat, I don't, let's preface this with the fact that I don't treat pain. I don't treat acute pain or chronic pain. Sure. I mean, and I don't write for narcotics. I just don't write them. It's not something that I want to take on as a struggle in be put into the position like there's plenty of doctors who specialize in that even though i'm licensed to write narcotics i just don't i don't want to even be it's just it's so much hassle from my perspective so to answer your question i believe it's a hassle now it's a hassle because we i don't normally write it now if i wrote this all the time i would already have in my charting ways of mitigating those you know, long paper, drawn out paperwork things, I would be able to quickly hit a couple buttons in my charting system to create the agreement plan that this patient is going to agree to and follow mm-hmm. along with. Um, and I would be able to, like, I would make macros that fit what I do, right? Because yeah. I already do that now for other things that I do, whether it yeah. be heart failure, or high blood pressure or whatever. So I would have those built into my charting system. So I would bet that everyone's found their work around the pain management physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs that treat patients have a workaround. The acute pain. Now, if you're in the ER and you receive, it used to be two years, three years, was it two or four years ago? Every couple of years, the guidelines are changing. So it used to be that if you wrote a prescription, even in the ER for 10, you know, for 10 Lortab for acute pain, yeah, this patient had to sign away all this stuff. And now pain it's a little different i don't think they have to make them sign all those contracts when they're in the acute setting and if it's a first prescription and you're writing it for more than 30 days they have to sign all this stuff so most physicians have changed they've changed the guidelines and now most physicians will not write you for 30 days in your first prescription no and i think it's like 10 days correct max whatever whatever the number is it's just got to be below 30 because you'll come back get reassessed and then then when they re-prescribe you and they prescribe you for 30 days it's no longer your first prescription so you don't have to do that so it's changed the way physicians and practitioners practice and from the data that i was presented during my training it has definitely decreased overdoses it's definitely decreased some dependency but I do think it's pushed those people who needed severe pain management to alternative methods. I believe, I don't know, but I would assume that just regulating, they didn't stop having pain, right? No. So now that they can't get it from their doctor or they can't get it from the pharmacy, because you and I both know patients used to doctor shop a ton. They get 30 pills from, you know, Dr. J and 30 pills from Dr. Q and 30 pills from Dr. X. Yeah, because they, they don't talk. No, but... Ne- but pharmacies talk. Some, at the time, they didn't, though. The far- At the time, there was no national database for all that stuff. Yeah. You know, 20 years ago, yeah, Walgreens 20. didn't talk to CVS, didn't talk to, 
you know? Yeah, you'd have your patient come into the hospital in the ER and they bring their medications and they have, you know, 60 vials of Lortab. Right. You know, filled to the brim or whatever. <laughs> right. It's just like, where'd you get all this? You know. Oh, from my doctor. Got from my doctor. I don't need it. I just carry it with me. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't even your name on the prescription bottle. I think from a nursing perspective, it's it's very difficult because we're the middleman. Mm. So you're the one getting beat up yeah. verbally by the patient. Yeah. You know, because they're signing away saying that they're not going to abuse the medication. Yeah. They're not going to, you know, whatever. And they have to be able by, like, if they have to show up within 24 hours, if you, if I, as the practitioner, call that patient or I have my nurse in the practice call the patient and I say, I just want to verify that that's right. I can do a pill count at a moment's notice and I can find out if they're overusing their meds. You know, from a patient's perspective, they, they see themselves as, you know, uh, people I've, I've seen patients not sign Mm -hmm. because it makes them feel like they're addicted to medications or a criminal or criminal. Yeah. You've turned them into a criminal be without any criminal reason for them they're getting would we do this for to overtaking telmasartan <laughs> yeah. to get too much blood pressure medication no but on the same token i i don't didn't i i think i think it's a, a positive thing that we're monitoring it a little bit more as far as not not just writing you know blank prescriptions for these medications just because they are in pain right or not in pain i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of diagnosis out there that require pain medications. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I know a lot of people struggle, the ones that have like lupus. Yes. They struggle. They legitimately Sickle have, cell. Sickle cell, yeah. Yeah, sickle cell patients get super painful and need it, like when they need it. They don't need it all the time, but when they have yeah. a so flare. I would think that this agreement is is, is very difficult for them to sign and to get very little post um, hospitalization, you know, especially, well, what's 10 days or three days or some of them are three days, you know, and you're just like, is that going to give you enough time? First off, who wants to go after you've been in the hospital for three, four days, Mm. wants to go run over to Walgreens to get their prescription filled immediately. Yeah. Um, You know, they want to get settled to get, you know, get back into doing whatever they needed to get doing. And then, you know, they always ask for a 30 day or whatever, and then they would get it right in the past. Well, and so the new guidelines have kind of helped because it used to be that if I wrote the initial prescription and again, I don't write prescriptions for narcotics, right? I just have chosen not to, it's not that I can't, I've just chosen as part of my practice to not do it. Yes. Yeah, so you made that very clear. So I'm just saying, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Wink, I, I don't great event session or what's her name. She's going to be like, How dare you? I know that's what she's going to say to me. <laughs> She'll be like, do I see what do it? How dare you? There you go. There see? you go. Yeah, she's going to yell at me. I can tell. But when it comes down to those patients getting their meds or being filled, I can't hold it against the ER physician because the ER physician isn't going to manage them. That's up to the primary care or the specialty group that's managing this patient, especially you know, pain management team, cancer group that's managing this patient. That's their job long-term. The ER is not where you get your primary care from. No. A lot of people do. Yes. Shouldn't. But with Obamacare, when that came around, it, mm. uh, everyone felt like, oh, I have insurance now. And they we inundated the primary care physicians 
So there wasn't a lot of... We didn't inundate the primary care I, physicians. I there was a lot of physicians you can't go get. You can't just walk up to that physician because they closed their doors. It's not because of Obamacare. Don't no, worry, no, Obamacare no. had problems, but yeah, yeah, yeah. they were already full. Those groups were already full. And then you, you, you've you opened up more people to have access to those same physicians, and now they're closing their doors because they're already full, right? And so where do they go? They don't we, go... We can, ar- we can argue whether we opened up more of them or not. That's a whole different yeah. topic. But. but where do they go? They went to the ER. Right. No, I, I get it. I mean, most... Like, ER visits had to have gone up. I know they have. They've gone mm-hmm. up. Right. You know. For sure. So, so it's been it's been difficult, you know, dealing with, with that. Has there been more physicians available to the general public? Well, I think... No, I don't, I don't think there has been. That's where... That's where nurse practitioners are saying that they come into the game, right? Because they're less expensive than a physician and you can employ three or four of them for every physician, you know, dollar wise, and you can then see more patients, you know? So it's getting patients more comfortable with seeing nurse practitioners or PAs as opposed to seeing physicians. Which we use nurse practitioners in the ER. Correct. Exactly. But when it comes down to the pain thing, I think these people, when you meet your doctor it's kind of like dating. It's a really crappy way of explaining it. But you're going on your first date and you want to know, are you going to see this person again? Are they going to put out are right they from day one? Right. Are they going to give you the prescription day one? Yeah. Or do you have to like, is there a rub, like and, tug, is there a rub and tug involved? Right. Is there a, <laughs> wine and is there a movie and dinner? Yeah. Do we need to like, you know, see a second date, a third date? How often are we going to have this conversation? You know what I mean? So they're dating the first couple of times, you know, and, until the patient gets comfortable with the physician or the practitioner and until the practitioner gets comfortable with the patient, I think you're trying to build a trust. And if the, I have patients right now that are in their eighties and I give them blood pressure meds and they're like, okay. And they're high risk, uncontrolled blood pressure. And they'll cancel every appointment until I stop filling their blood pressure meds. (laughs) And then they'll show up like, they wouldn't fill my meds at the pharmacy. Like, well, like, cause I told them not to. Oh, nice. Because I'm mean. (laughs) You need to see them, too. You need to follow up with them, right? So if you have those kind of patients, you just know. But again, pain management, I think that most of the docs have people who are truly in pain. I I think this has cut down on those multiple seekers. And I think that having a national database of pain meds and where it's registered that you can just go pull from the database. So as a practitioner, I can log in and pull data and see... Oh, well, this shows that you were at Dr. X's office yesterday and he already wrote you for 30, Lord have. Mm-hmm. I'm not writing you for that. And then I'm going to report you because you came to see it. I think it's stopped that. Yeah, which is which is great. It's created, it created a ton of work. It, initially, it created a ton of work and everybody was trying to manage how to deal with the paperwork side of it because yeah. there needed to be a signature from a patient and an agreement. It's gotten better. So like anything we overreact <laughs> and then we back off the regulations because we realize that they're a little extraneous, you know, and they're yeah. hard to, you know, follow. So I think it's better than it, than it was. And I think it's the best situation we got, but Jayco created this situation back to the Jayco problem. Jayco. They created this, they created it because what is pain? The sixth vital sign or whatever. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's what you tell me it is. If you're sitting there looking at me, talking on your cell phone, picking your nose, 
taking selfies of yourself in bed and you go, nope, my pain's a 10. Definitely a 10. No. The best one is you're not doing any of that. You're actually sleeping. Oh, yeah. Okay. You wake up because you got to wake them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your pain at? Oh, I'm in so much pain. But, you know, some people can be. Like, I know I had some type of ab- abdominal pain okay. many years ago. Mm-hmm. And all I wanted to do was... It wasn't sleep. yesterday, was it? No. Oh, you look like you're in pain. I'm just kidding. All I want to do is sleep. All I want to do is close my eyes and sleep it off kind of thing. So, yeah. I mean, you can have those people. But did I'm you I'm one ask, of those people. Did but did I didn't ask, ask for pain meds. You didn't ask for any morphine? Not, were, my, were not you, in my bed. Were you allergic to morphine? I bet so... I'm allergic to morphine. The only one that starts with a D, right? D- Dilly Dad or something, whatever, however it goes. What's this, What's the one? It's that one with a D. Really good for you. Dilaudid? That's the one. That's the <laughs> one that works for me. I'm telling you. It's, it's the best a, drug. It's the best drug. I yeah, got it last week. I'm not allergic to it. Yep. I'm allergic to that, that minifin one, though. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, I think... I think there's some, there's some, obviously there's some pros and cons to anything, right? You can argue yeah. positives and negatives. Well, I, I just think that because people were able to tell me what their pain was and I was just supposed to take it at face value, there was no empirical data to describe what their pain was. I couldn't contract or contrast their comment with, and nurses do this. We still do this all the time. Patient sitting up in bed, talking on cell phone, not complaining of pain. I asked patient what pain level was. Patient said, 10 out of 10, stabbing pain. Jury reads that, and the jury's going to be like, well, I remember when I was in pain, and I wouldn't want to text or take a selfie or do yeah. anything. That's the that's the charting goal, right? You're trying to cover your tail. But then you write in the chart also, patient said pain, 10 out of 10, morphine, Q4 ordered for patient. <laughs> Gave dose of whatever, two milligrams morphine, VIV push to mitigate patient's pain. We'll check in 10 minutes. Like you, your note is going to be some sort of nonsense like that. But then to me, where does that put you as the nurse? If you're so, because pain is what they say it is. And the doctor has ordered for the patient to receive, you know, four, let's say four milligrams of morphine PRN for pain. And every four hours that patient's on the bell like clockwork yep like they do bing bing i'm in pain now there's legit patients that are in pain and they're bringing it in three hours because it doesn't last yeah that's a different patient this is the patient that sitting up looking at you like there's no problems like they're talking to their family or friends oh yeah hi yeah i'm in pain uh-huh Where, where's your pain it's kind of all over right now it's like everywhere and i have a lot of pain so could you help me sure (laughs) yes i'll go get your pain meds i mean you can't contradict them because then they'll turn you into the management team like he was rude i was in pain he wouldn't help me and they'll turn it on and all of a sudden you're the jerk nurse because you didn't give pain meds yeah so you're as the nurse you're damned if you do damned if you don't right yeah that's where you're at so how is that affecting you on your end if a prescriber's prescribing it. What is the patient saying to you when you're asking him to sign all this? Has that gotten better since it started three, four years ago? Whatever I, it was? I think so. I think it, well, no, I mean, I, I think it depends. It depends on how painful the, you know, the person, how much pain meds this person needs, how much they're requiring, what little amount they get. Did they run out before they got to the hospital? Right. 
Because you're not seeing them in practice, you're seeing them in the hospital. Correct. Right. So we, you know, we don't know. And, and some of these people don't want to, they don't want to sign a, they don't want to sign the paperwork. They just want, they don't want to be labeled as a drug seeker because that's, that's their perception. We don't like labels, by the way. Humans in general don't like labels. Yeah. It's just that, that, that's, that's their perspective. Right. But they're not going to get the prescription for the three days or whatever the amount is until they sign it off. So I think they're kind of forced with having to sign it just so they can get something to tide them over until they see their primary care physician. Makes sense. So to, to play off this pain med thing, I find it funny, odd, not funny. Ha ha. Yeah. Funny, odd that patients, the perception of depression medication is very negative from the patient's perspective. They might have depression, anxiety, stress on a regular basis. That might be their norm, right? They are, oh, I'm not taking that. I'm not going to take that. I'll take all the pain meds you give me. I'll take three insulins and you, know, you put me on all the blood pressure meds. I'm not taking psych meds. I'm not psych. I'm not <laughs> crazy. You go, no, no, no. You're, you have severe anxiety. Your wife passed a month ago. Since then, your blood pressure has been out of whack. I believe that you're tachycardic because you're having panic attacks. Like you're stressed out. Nope, nope. I'm not taking that stuff. No way, man. I'm good. What is that? I don't understand. They'll give them, they'll take every drug known to man. You could tell them you should diet and really, nope, I'm going to continue. I'm 85. I've been doing this for my whole life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't know why every patient I talk bad about has a Southern accent. That's really, that's really just racist. I didn't hear Southern. So whatever, whatever my shit accent is, my goofy accent. Yeah. We'll call it crap Southern, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, my patients always seem to say to me that there's a problem when it comes to taking not a psych med. And I hate calling them psych meds because I think they're just mental health management medications. I mean, honestly, some people just need a med to manage their day-to-day anxiety. Yes. And I think there's more needed now since this whole COVID thing for patients that have been shut in than in general. Well, getting back to labels, (laughs) right. You know, somebody probably not taking or not wanting to take that medication because they don't want to be labeled as somebody that's crazy, crazy. Then you'll have your mom with three kids just dealing with life. Mm -hmm. You know, to them, it's a happy pill makes them less stressed or less angry. But I think even those, those people, unless they had it pretty kids, they don't want to take it because they don't want to ever be in a position to where they would. They've watched the ABC special. Okay. The ABC special where they like, kills her kids because she takes a medication or sleeps and doesn't know that the kids are cooking and spill water. Like the mom doesn't want to do that. She's worried that yeah. it's going to cause them significant problems. I so they don't want to take the meds. I think there's people out there that will take it. Well, of course there is. Or they, they wouldn't know, make it. Because they know the positives from it. Well, I just think we as a practitioner need to do a better job of facilitating the conversation about the positives and not paint it in such a negative light. I think that gets painted as a negative a lot of times, not intentionally. I don't think that we're saying 
this is a really negative drug, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because yeah. I think it's going to horribly. I want make you to you... take this antipsychotic correct medication. That's right. not the case at all. Like I don't think anyone says that to them. You have to explain what the drug does and what the side effects are. Oh, and by the way, you have to wait two weeks before it even works. <laughs> so don't be frustrated and don't stop it quickly, or you'll go bonkers. You will have a rebound psych episode, and you will stab somebody in the eye. I'm just kidding. Not that bad. I'm just saying that I think there's a there's a negative connotation when it comes to psych meds in general. So are you saying psych meds are needed? Yeah. I think they're needed by more people than take them. But are we in the society of just pop a pill, give somebody a pill instead of In today's marketplace? Absolutely. And that's not because we want not because I want to be. I believe that the patients are on that boat. I don't think the patients want to make changes to themselves. Now, that's maybe a condescending way of looking at it, but I, if I speak to 100 patients and I spend, if I could spend an hour with each patient, let's just pretend that I could spend an hour with everybody, mm-hmm. which you can't because you're busy. But let's say you could spend an hour with a patient and you could really talk to them and get down to the bottom problem. They just want a drug to fix the problem. They don't want to change I see they, as in, it's not 100% of them. There might be 2% of the patients that I see will make a significant change. But isn't taking the pill making the change? They do mm. want to change. That's why they want the pill. No, I don't, I don't think so. I think there's two sides of that coin. I think there's the long-winded way of dealing with it, going to a therapist, dealing with your issues, dealing with the psychosis, if there is psychosis addressing your anxiety what's the reason for the underlying anxiety have you dealt with it you know that kind of thing but i do think in general if someone is to prescribe a patient any sort of anti-anxiety drug or stress management medication or long-term depression ssri type drug those meds are thought of by the general population as a negative a very negative connotation associated with those. Mm-hmm. There's not a negative connotation with gastric bypass surgery. That seems to be okay. That's, oh, I'm going to get better. As a matter of fact, I'm going to bulk up before. That's right. I'm going to overeat before I go in for surgery. Because I'm not going to be able to eat. Correct. I'm going to eat bags of Oreos. So I'm just saying that there's not a negative connotation with obesity. There's not a negative connotation with any of that stuff. But if you're taking a psych med for me, there's something wrong with you. Pain meds, not so much. I need. I have pain in my lower back. Well, you're you're two hundred pounds overweight. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's start there. Nope, I need a pain med. I need a pain med to manage my pain. How about you stop eating cookies? That'd be a good idea. Yeah, dieting. Yeah, let's get you on keto. Let's lose some weight. Let's uh, help you out. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not gonna do that. That takes too much. Just give me a pain med. I'll be fine. Just give me. Anxiety, stress, blood pressure, heart rate high, blood pressure elevated. I think it has something to do with your stress. Nope. Nope. Just give me med. You're on four blood pressure management medications and you're not doing well. Like there's a problem, right? You've also seen nephrology who says there's nothing wrong. Uh, Every time you come in here, you have white coat syndrome and your pressure is 180 over 95. Like we need to figure out what's going on with your psych problem. Yeah. God forbid they take their own... they. They take responsibility for themselves, right? 
That's, mm. that's a big struggle in the ho- you know, just taking care of patients. Well, we've created a problem, I think, across the board when it comes down to managing that, just like the pain med thing we talked about a minute ago. So I'm supposed to be able to call patients and make sure they're taking that. How am I going to regulate that? Really? So Medicare is going to base the hospital payment on whether or not the patient followed through with the treatment plan? They're going to deduct money from you. Medicare is going to deduct money from your hospital if the patient checks back in within 30 days after diagnosis of congestive heart failure and comes back in in heart failure again. Yeah, rebound. Right. Mm -hmm. So your patient comes in, their heart failure uh, due to MI, due to having a heart attack, you stint them, right? And they come back in 30 days because they decided, I don't want to take Berlinta. It's too expensive. They didn't talk to their practitioner and ask for Plavix. That's a generic now. They didn't change. They just didn't want to. They found out that Berlinta was 400 bucks or something and they don't want to take it. No, they can't. Yeah. Not that they didn't want to take it. They can't afford it. Can't afford it. It's too expensive, right? Their insurance plan, whatever it was, didn't cover it. And they live on a fixed income. They don't have the money to spend 400 bucks a month on one drug. They're already taking seven. And if they didn't have any meds before, they came into the hospital with no drugs and they leave on six. Right? So you, they leave on a whole bunch of blood pressure management medications. They leave on you know, cholesterol meds. They leave on blood thinners, you know, anticoagulants. So we send them out with all these drugs and they come back and they have instant restenosis. They need to go back to cath lab because they didn't take their Belinda. And the physician or the hospital is somehow culpable. Like what happened to freedom of choice? I don't know. I don't know either. It doesn't make any sense. So it's a it's a problem. You know, is that your belly or mine? I think it's dinner time somewhere. Is that your belly? That's loud. Poor Ron doesn't eat. He's hungry. I think I ate too much. Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> the seven layer burrito finally getting. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> right? How dare you? Okay. I have to. We're going to overuse that today just so you're aware. Because I think it's hilarious. <laughs> So, what's hot? What's not? Mm, like it. What's hot? What? Tell what? me. Give me. Give me the what's hot. What's this or any other segment? What's hot? What's not? Yeah, segment. What, what's hot? What's not? Awesome. What's hot medically? And you know, from what you know off the top of your head, what would be the the hot? What's the hot topic today? Not necessarily tell you know just anything medically hot like um, it's a new intervention that you heard of or. No, I haven't heard of anything recently because everyone's been talking COVID, man, the whole time. <laughs> That's the problem. It's so bad. Um, I can tell you what's not. Yeah, what's not? What's not? That's easy. Hospital waste. Oh, okay. I mean, hospitals waste product, mm-hmm. paper. Right. How many trees do you think they, they mow down? Well, that's the hilarious hand? part. We're supposed to be paperless. On the new charting system. Yeah. We both know that the most paperless facility prints more paper than we did when we were papered. Yeah. Right? When we were charting on paper, it was less paper, I think, than it is now. Oh, it's, it is less paper, but there is paper. Like, you just can't, you should be able to get off all paper. It should all be accessible through your, you know, your charting system. Charting system. Right. But it, some things are just either not inputted, not done. You know, still, yeah, I'll give you an example. We, we were trying a new charting system. Okay. 
And our facility. Um, Epic. Are you trying Epic? No, it was uh, Meditech. Ugh. Yeah. So when Make we, me want to vomit. That's bad in medical care. Go ahead. Yeah. So when we were developing it, so, you know, to save money, mm-hmm. instead of having it all the, all, all done. Yeah. That we, makes sense. We Not. decided to take our staff and, you know, make, uh, make our own screens, mm-hmm. data sets. Right. So when they had downtime, everybody, you know, took their paper form. Okay. And made it in the computer. Yeah, you created a digital representation of your papers form. Correct. Yeah. But when it was all developed, say say you work in ER. Okay. And I work in ICU. Mm-hmm. You have question sets that you're going to tell your patients or you're going to mm-hmm. ask your patients for their answers. Right. So do I. Different. Or the same. Fair. Right? Do you speak English? Yeah. What's your insurance? Well, you know, stupid stuff like that. Right. Stuff that should laterally transfer through. Certain questions should be, how many kids do you have? Universal. Should be universal. Well, nobody thought about that. (laughs) So you would ask, say, admitting would ask, you know, say, do you speak English? You know, what's your nationality? Yeah, yeah. And the floors would ask those questions, but... It would never talk. They wouldn't trail from what? It was such. It was the worst experience. Ever. Yeah, I hate Meditech for multiple reasons. I, in fact, I would rather not chart. Yeah, Meditech. That's not hot at all. No, Meditech's not hot. But you talked about waste medical. Like, is it medical so, waste or is it just paper? So that's waste? getting back to the waste part. You know, you spent like you know, two years developing it to and to, to throw it away, wrap it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When it was all said and done, I don't know. You know, we're you're you're trying to be innovative. You're trying to bring in new product. You're trying to you know think outside the box. Except for when you think outside the box, you don't think about the smaller things that should be inside the box. You know, I I still feel that hospitals have an opportunity to save money by properly documenting what they use, like. So, so some I've facilities seen. are really good at that. They have a scanning system when you take yeah. from the, you know, the closet, storage, you know, storage closet. So if I'm going to use, you know, a box of latex gloves, I can bill them to the patient's room, right? And the insurance company gets paid for it. But then it becomes like that COVID patient that says in 76 days in the hospital and got a, a total bill. The bill wasn't directly to him. It was initially to the, it was just a accounting of charges was $1.1 million. Yeah. That was just in the on the news recently. I, I just feel like, you know, for the amount of what they're billing, I think we can charge off or have a, a really good representation of what we used versus, you know, you're hoping that that nurse puts a sticker on a card kind of thing. Right. So how, how, do, you, how do you police that is the question. I mean, so if a nurse... So when I was on the fire department years ago, if I tried to start an IV for a patient and I missed bouncing down the road and the ambulance was my excuse, but I just was a new EMT and I sucked. So if I missed, our fire chief told us you do not charge for an advanced life support transfer if you failed to provide advanced life support during your transport. Yeah. Right? So if I provided 
basic life support. In other words, you know, airway, breathing, circulation, spine board, basic interventions, no pain management meds, no IV, no access, then that's basic life support. And I charge for basic life support. Even if I tried and failed in the hospital, we will try and fail and we'll charge for every piece of equipment we use numerous times. So if you use a guide wire that you can't reuse on somebody, right? So you got a guide wire and you try and get that wire up into the heart and you can't get through. So you need a different size wire to access a specific, you know, area in the heart. You need a different wire and you come out and you put a new wire in and you go up and you're going to charge for each thing you use, whether you truly use it or not. I mean, you used it. It didn't work. You yeah. don't get to not use that. So each one of those items gets charged for. Surgical suite, they account for every sponge, every every detail. Yeah. That all gets charged. So it becomes the floors that are the problem then and they're not charging. And then it, are we talking back to paper now from the charting system or is it just items that are charged? So if we asking the ER nurse to put an IV in a patient and we miss three IVs, but the fourth one you get because the patient's super obese and diabetic and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Not that the nurses sucked, but the patient had, you know, horrible vasculature and it was hard to get access. Are we charging for each one of those failures? Well, then that wouldn't be a medical waste, would it? That wouldn't be a waste at all. Sure it would. Because you got charged. You got to write it off as waste. But, well, no. <laughs> but I'm saying, are you charging the patient for your failures as you, a profession? You, you got paid. <laughs> you did get paid. <laughs> you billed and got paid for it for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I know that hospitals can do better. No, I think they can as well. It just comes down to. I even think physicians' offices can do better. Absolutely, we can. We're horrible overuse on a lot of things especially during covid we were overusing even our office was overusing like wipes and gloves and you're doing it not necessarily because the room's dirty right but you're doing it to make sure that the next person isn't infected or they feel that it's clean you know what i mean like yeah so you go into this over cleaning mode so we went i don't know i don't know what our numbers are our practice manager could tell you but we went from using however many wipes and you know chlorhexidine wipes and different things to clean the office down to, I bet we doubled or tripled our volume. And then you couldn't get any for a while. Yeah. So we were running low for a short time because we exhausted our inventory. And we keep a pretty good stock because we have a pretty decent sized practice. But still, we were going to run short if we didn't get new stuff. Mm-hmm. So one thing I want to highlight today is this um, weird little tool. It's called Level Line. And... Uh, I got this from Nursing Knowledge Incorporated. So it's actually a really cool little tool. So this nurse, she developed it. And it's for those that don't know that work in acute, those that work in acute care or ICU or critical care, ICU, ER, and you've ever had to level an art line or, you know, check your pressures on a patient's line, you have to level it to the phlebostatic axis, right? So what you get taught. So do you do it by eyeball? It's actually not a bad way. You can get pretty close, you know, by eyeball. But this little tool, it's about this little longer than a pen. It's a telescoping tool. Um, it's got a bubble level on the end of it. It telescopes out so that you can then go to your art line and then you can put the tip on the flubicide axis and then you can check where your level is on wow. the actual patient's art line on the transducer to be able to see. And then and the telescope's about two and a half, three feet out, right? So I think it's two and a half feet. 
So you're two and a half feet because the bed, by the time you get to the bed and to the art line, you're right there by next to the bed and you got plenty of access and you can look and see if you're level or not. I actually would use this tool regularly in the ICU when I worked in the ICU to make sure that all my, you know, pressures were accurate and level. I've never heard of that tool. No, it's a pretty dope tool. I don't know in a lot of people who have it and I don't even remember how I found it. I, I wish I could credit the person who told me where it was, but I'm pretty sure that the website is nursingknowledge.com and mine by no means get money from them or anything. Yeah, this is not a paid sponsored show. No, no, it should be because we're awesome, but no, it's not. Um, Let me see if I can find it while we're talking here because I should have known up front, um, but I don't know. Well, that definitely can be a what's hot. To me, that's a what's hot. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Um, because it's kind of one of those things that this tool really helped me, especially when I was a new, a new bedside nurse, I started in the ICU. I think that was your prodding that got me in the ICU, by the way, all those years ago. So years ago when I was, I hate this term, so I'm not going to use it. When I was a young nurse, not baby, I hate the baby nurse term. You were baby baby, nurse, 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 nurse. Oh, shush. I'm going to throw you through the wall. Hate that term. Hate that song. You know what I mean? It's like, how dare you? Okay, that's what you get. You get one of those how dare you's oh, today. Oh, man. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I started, I wanted to go straight to ER. My goal was to go to ER and be an e, a badass ER trauma one nurse. I wanted to save the world, plug bullet holes, stab wounds. That's what I wanted to do. And what did you tell me? I think you should do it. <laughs> he did not. I said you should do it because you're going to be so much more knowledge. You're going to have so much knowledge base. You told me to go straight to the ER. No, you didn't. You no. told me to go to the ICU first. I did. You I, said go straight to the ICU. Do not pass go. Definitely don't collect $200. No. Yeah, Do, no. ICU. ICU. If, if you can get into ICU, right? True. You were able to. I it was able you, to. Now, well, let's. It took you a little bit to get into ICU. You you you, had, you applied to a few places. Yes. And you were denied, I'm sure, at one or two of them. Yes. But you, you did finally get in. Yes, I did. I, but I was also offered um I was offered positions in med search and med telly at a couple hospitals early on. And yeah. I turned them down. I specifically refused those positions because I wanted to go to ICU. I wanted to be I wanted to be the top dog. I wanted to learn more. No, you wanted to go to ER. I did, but you told me that if I didn't have the skill set to work in the ER as a new nurse, I would get eaten alive. And uh, Down the road, yeah. Yeah, go down the road, right? Go later, but cut your teeth in the ICU first. So what you told me. Yeah, well, there's some perspective. You got to have some perspective, right? You know, I, I was never an ER nurse. Okay. I never jumped into ICU either, but I had years behind me working on intermediate care, going into ICU, doing other things, but then becoming, you know, doing the position I do now, I, I'm able to see a lot more of the units and kind of get an, a better idea of, well, if I had to do it over again, how would I do it? And I wanted to pass that knowledge on to you because I knew, I knew where you wanted to be mm-hmm. and I knew, that, I knew you wanted to learn and I, <laughs> I'm not going to discount. There are some really good ER nurses out there. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, totally. But you have to have an understanding of of the disease process. You have to have an understanding of, you know, how things are 
working uh, medications, you know, diagnosis, stuff like that. You, you need to know those things. Correct. And I don't know if you have time in the ER to evaluate, understand, learn. And you don't always have time in the ICU, but you know, you you if you're with two patients and you're with them all night and they're intubated, they're not ringing call light, they're not doing any of that stuff. You have time to look their look up their chart and see what's going on with them and well that's the funny thing, that's the difference between all those you see those memes where it's like the ER nurse feels like they're being interrogated by the IC nurse when like they can report. Did you check the skin? The ER nurse like, oh yeah. No, I had to have time to check the skin. I, they have skin, I think. Maybe. Might be a male, might be a female. I don't know. At this point, it's like. So in a 12-hour shift, an ER nurse can have 40 patients. Yeah. Flipping them. Not all at the same time. No, you, but throughout the shift, you can definitely you, burn through You can a bunch burn through quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you may be handed off a patient, and then you're like, oh, hey, call report. You're like, right. oh, I just got this patient. Yeah, I just got him. I just, I just saw that. I haven't even assessed the patient yet. Yeah. I was just told that they had a high blood pressure, and it's better now because they got drugs. That's what I was told. And, and you're, yeah, and you're reporting <laughs> off. You're reporting this off. You know, you're looking in the chart and you're reporting it off to the nurse. Well, the ICU nurse or med surge nurse or uh, intermediate care nurse, all of them are going to ask questions. Well, because their job is to know the details. They want to know every detail. Correct. And they should know the details, but there's things that you don't have to ask. You could just find out when they get to the floor. You know, when was the last time they had a bowel movement? <laughs> well they didn't have one when they were down in the er yeah they haven't had one in the four hours they've been in the er and that's a good day yeah they haven't had one in the 24 hours they've been in the ER. have they have they had anything to eat or drink right you know some of those things you could just ask the patient when they get to the floor and you'd be better off asking the patient versus asking the nurse and report but you know if they're here for shortness of breath you should be asking the questions about their respiratory status Correct. Because you want to see what their baseline is from down in the ER to when they get to the floor. If I if I asked, how's their lung sound? Oh, clear, equal, bilaterally, you know, good breaths. Mm-hmm. And they're satting 98% on room air. And, oh, great. Cool. Send them up. <laughs> and they get up and they're, you know, lower base crackles and... um. Now is now they're on you know two liters and sound like ninety three percent ninety two percent. Well, that's a change, right? <laughs> From the report I got, it's definitely different because the because the nurse told me stable patient breathing on their own. They come up vented. You're like, <laughs> wait a minute, not so much. But you know they came up vented three hours later. <laughs> like okay, something's changed. Yeah, how did they decompensate so quickly? so from no but your comment to me was go go learn that yeah essentially go learn all you can possibly learn because you're going to take care of critically ill acutely ill patients and you're going to do all the drugs and you're going to have to titrate all the meds and you're going to have to change event settings or have your respiratory therapist change event settings and you're going to have to deal with super sick patients for a long period of time and learn like sickness you're going to learn illness and how to deal with it and I did. I did that for like three years before I went to ER. Yeah, but it may. I guarantee you, made you a bet and a be, way better ER nurse. I feel it did. I feel I was came into the ER able to 
see, so I think I saw differently the long-term progression of a patient. I didn't treat them as an acute patient, a super sick patient that I knew was going to be admitted. Yeah. I saw the next step. And I don't know that all ER nurses see that. No, they don't. Because they're, I mean, for the record, they're there to treat the the yeah. acute situation. Right. Get them stable. And then send them somewhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, I get that. But I think it put me in a, di- now, the nurses I worked with in the ER were second to none, in my opinion. And they were able to, ass- so my assessment skills were decent with a patient, but I already knew what I was getting because someone else had already assessed them. So even when I was in the ICU and I was getting nurse report, it, someone else had already assessed this patient. It wasn't an emergent acute assessment, mm-hmm. right? I had those if the patient decompensated, but by then I knew the history. I knew this story, right? The medical story, their hospital story, yeah. how, how their whole hospital care had been. I understood it, read it. I might've even written part of it if they'd been there for very long, right? Mm-hmm. ER nurses were amazing at being able to assess illness, not in an assessment. They would look at you. Yeah, It was seconds, not minutes, not, a, let's do a preliminary assessment and then a secondary assessment and then a tertiary assessment and we're gonna go over all of the, like, you know, nursing school. It was, yeah. this person's sick and it's a major problem and I need to do this. It was awesome to learn that from them. I knew the medical side on the back end, right? So I knew how to titrate a lot of the drugs on the back end. Which I'm sure was is not their strong point. That's not their strong point either because no. they start everything at, you know, max dose to bring pressures up or whatever. And I was titrating Levo or I was putting in, you know, a flexus seal when they're like, where the hell did you get a flexus seal from? Like, you know, yeah. I'm like, oh, I went up to ICU or I got, I got one. They're like, how did... Well, that exists like they didn't even have them you know yeah so all of these things were were different for me but i learned and i guess i learned the respect for the er and i came already away with respect for the icu so i kind of feel like i was able to bridge that gap easier going from the icu to the er side than coming from the er i can perceive my thought process different from the er to the icu side yeah. if i'd went the opposite direction I don't know that I would have went the opposite direction. I think ER nurses are wired a certain way. Absolutely. And they want, they don't want to sit with a patient all day. No offense, but there are people who you need to have that are really good at assessing patients, immediate urgent need, but you don't want to see them all day long. (laughs) That nurse is not there to be there all day. And there's nurses that are there to care for you all day long. And that's their, you know, that's their lot in life. That's what they're there for. I was, I played both sides of that. So I got a little benefit, but Again, I have you to, I guess, thank for that, for sticking me in the ICU first. Oh, you're welcome. I, w- I would not have done that had it not been for your uh, prodding. I would have definitely fought to get into the ER somewhere. And look at where you are now. Um, bitter, angry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, typical bitter, angry, alcoholic medical professional. No, I'm just kidding. I don't drink alcohol. Um, not, not on Mondays. Well, no. On t- only on days that end in Y. Okay. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So I'm looking for this level line thing while we've been talking, doing a little, I will put a link in the podcast description somewhere if I can find it. For some reason, I can't even find the website that I bought this off of. It's patented and it was done by a nurse. I'm surprised I can't just, you know, but again, I was shown this by 
somebody years ago. I've had this device for six years. So it's just one of those things that no one else on my floors had. And it was kind of a unique item. So I think people would get benefit from it. Absolutely. You know, just because it's a small pocket-sized little tool to fit in my bag. Yeah, and I, I think we can add something into the podcast with something unique like that. Yeah, it's a little helpful hints for the medical professionals out there. And for you non-medical professionals, sorry, no hints for you. <laughs> Too bad. And on this podcast, you get no assistance whatsoever. You no. Know, 20 minutes of... You get some really good opinions, though. Really good discussion, right? Yeah. So, it's but but again, unbiased discussion. And if you have questions, again, info medicallyunbiased.com. Email us, email us your questions. You know, all both of you, the two of you listening to this podcast, please email us nine. There was actually six, I think. I don't know. There's a couple more than the last time. Good. And we're growing every day. So if we can just tell your friends, don't tell them to listen, just tell them it exists. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then download it and don't get anything from it. That would be helpful. Just kidding. Yeah, we're getting better. We are. Each week. We're going to get there. We have these new tools. We've got some new goodies to play with. I'll be able to integrate some phone calls now into the podcast. Hopefully the sound is okay. You know, I don't want it to sound hideous. Yeah. Well, you sound hideous. <laughs> What's that? Is that, what, is that a Geico commercial? Or what commercial is that? Uh, State Farm? Well, she sounds hideous. She's a guy. You know? Oh, yeah, State Farm. <laughs> what are you wearing, khakis? Are you talking to Jake? Are you talking to Jake? Jake from State Farm? Yeah. See, we're going to get sound effects in here. I'm going to be able to do some segment separation. We're, we're growing. We're learning. Bear with us as we grow. I really appreciate uh, everyone sticking with us through this and listening along the way. And uh, hope you guys have a great, good week. And we'll chat with you next week. You've been listening to Medically Unbiased. Visit our website at medicallyunbiased.com. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Listening to this podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship. The Medically Unbiased podcast is for general information purposes only. Thanks for listening.